Hi, I'm Ayala Marinovich, your host. Welcome back to Strength in Words, a family enrichment program for parents, caregivers, and infants and toddlers of all developmental levels. Each episode, we get together to sing a few songs, discuss some ideas for play, and outline some insight about early development. This series is time for you to be together and to feel like you're doing something good for and with your baby, small child, or multiple young children. Please always follow your child's lead. I am a speech and language pathologist, and I specialize in work with very young children, but this is not to be confused with speech therapy. This is what I call family enrichment. All suggested activities are meant to be enjoyed by your baby under a close adult supervision. For a more complete story of Strength in Words, please listen to my introduction episode or visit my website, strengthinwords.com. Hello everybody, hello everybody, it's nice to see you here today. Hello everybody, hello everybody, it's nice to see you here. We can start by saying hello to the people who are with us. Hello to Ayalet, hello to the singers, hello, 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 hello. Hello to the babies, hello to the toddlers, hello. Hello, hello. Hello to the children, hello to the grown-ups, hello. Hello, hello, hello. Hello to your friends, hello to my friends, hello, hello, hello. Since I don't know your name, I'll help you sing the song and you can fill it in. Ready? Hello to your child's name, hello to your name, hello, 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 everybody, hello, everybody, hello, hello, hello. Today we're going to be speaking to Meryl Brown, a music therapist and developmental specialist. Let's sing her a warm welcome. Hello to Meryl, hello to Meryl, hello, 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 hello to the kiddos, hello to the parents, hello, 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 one last time. Hello everybody, hello everybody, it's nice to see you here today. Hello everybody, hello everybody, hello, hello, hello. Welcome to episode 44 of the Strength in Words podcast. Today I'm speaking with Meryl Brown, a board-certified music therapist and developmental specialist working with young children, and she's the founder and director of Developing Melodies Music Therapy Center in Bloomington, Illinois. Meryl, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Glad to be here. So I have asked you to come onto the show today to speak a bit about music, about why it's such a powerful tool and why it can be considered therapeutic for all infants and toddlers as well as their adult counterparts. So first, let's just hear a little bit about you and what brought you to the kind of work that you're doing today. For sure. So my background is music education originally. Um, I went to school in upstate New York, SUNY Potsdam Crane School of Music, to study music and how to educate the youth with music. While I was in school, we were given opportunities for practicum work, so going into the classrooms and teaching the youth. And in the general curriculum that we had in college, we got two opportunities to go into these classrooms. One opportunity was to go into a general music elementary school classroom and teach a lesson. Even though we were there for like eight weeks, we observed mostly. 
Hmm. And then the other opportunity was we were paired with an individual student to teach them a band instrument that was not your main instrument. So I went to school for French horn. I was to teach the flute. And I was given that because I failed flute the first time. So those were the only two opportunities we really had in the classroom before we went to student teaching. Mm-hmm. And there was no way I felt right. And I, and I know things have changed now because Cream produces some of the best music educators. So I know there are changes. I kind of dug a little deeper and tried to figure out how do I get in the classroom more? I need help. I don't feel comfortable as an educator as of yet. And I looked further and there was a track that it wasn't a degree per se, but it was a, an additional certificate that you could get. And it was music education, special education. Mm-hmm. So I said, hmm, I wonder. It gives you four extra opportunities to get into the classroom and work. It happened to be with children with special needs. So I had all of these extra opportunities. I'm now inundated with opportunity to get into this classroom and be with these kids and teach them music. But, you know, a couple semesters in, I wasn't teaching music. I was in a classroom, a specific classroom. It was a classroom of children with multiple disabilities, anywhere ranging from third to fifth grade. We had children in wheelchairs who were non-mobile. We had children who were non-verbal. We had children who didn't use their fingers. We had children who were blind. We had children who were de- I mean, we had all of these children in this classroom. It's upstate New York. Um, so, you know, you're limited in what you're, you have, you don't have a multitude of classrooms to put these kids in. So they're all in one classroom and I'm supposed to teach them music. I couldn't teach them music where I was in my skill set and what I needed to do just wasn't, but I realized that they were dropped to music and I had no idea what this was. And we started working on visual tracking and we started working on gait and gross motor movement and fine motor movement, all words that were foreign to me when I was an undergrad, but I was using music. I was singing songs with them and using instruments and these kids were reaching and they were smiling and they were laughing and they were vocalizing. And I was like, what is this? I had no idea what music therapy was at the time. So I went to my supervisor and she goes, don't talk to me. Go talk to the dean. Well, the dean happened to be Dr. Alan Solomon, who was a board-certified music therapist. We did not have a music therapy program at Cream. So I went to speak to him, and he said, oh, well, what you're doing is music therapy. And I was like, huh? And he's like, well, you're using the music, which is the motivator, because of all of these facets, the rhythm, the lyrics, the pitch, all of that, to motivate these students to do everything else that they want. And should be doing I can do and I said oh and he goes yeah <laughs> and that was kind of like our entire conversation I was just like <laughs> oh cool so I, I finished my degree I got my music ed degree and I was like had this in the back of my head music therapy music therapy no I want to be a band director though like that was cool and I got my extra classroom hours I want to be a band director so <laughs> I graduated and I got a job immediately. Halfway through my student teaching, I was offered a job in the Syracuse City School District. I was asked to teach eighth grade general music. It started in January. So it was only at that point a six-month position. And in that six months, two of my eighth graders were pregnant. Two of my eighth graders were killed in gang violence. Oh, my gosh. So these kids don't want to learn music. I mean, like, they are coming to this classroom grieving, fearful. They don't want to be in general music, but they had all of these emotions and they were using that music 
for something totally different. And in this side, it was self-care. In this side, it was grieving. So it was at that point that I called my dean and I said, okay, where do I go now? And so he said, apply to these schools. I applied to some schools and I got a phone call from uh, where I ended up getting my master's degree, Illinois State University, and entered their music therapy graduate program and learned that this is exactly where I needed to be. So fascinating. And I love, because we all come to the place where we end up in such fascinating ways. What a great story. I love that. So I have seen and heard the term neurologic music therapy. Can you tell us more about that? What is that? What does it mean? So neurologic music therapy is an additional training. It's an advanced training that music therapists can get. There are several out there. I chose neurologic music therapy because I have a weird fascination with the brain. What it is exactly is they took everything we already know and they made these 20 very standardized clinical techniques and they can be used to address sensory motor, speech and language training, uh, cognitive training, all of that. But they're very specific. So for example, one of them is called RAS and it is the Arrhythmic Auditory Stimulation. Also known as gate training. When you see all those videos on YouTube by non-music therapists, but could possibly be music therapists, like this is what they're working on. Like, oh my gosh, look, he's walking with his walker. That is a standardized clinical technique that we use and it's even billable by insurance. Shh, don't tell anybody. We're facilitating the rehabilitation of motor skills. That's one of them. It's not just gait training, but you can use it for other movements as well. So arm movements and finger dexterity and stuff like that. Another one, and this is really good for the parents, developmental speech and language training through music. So acronym DSLM. And this is really just the specific use of developmentally specific appropriate musical materials to enhance the speech and language through singing and chanting and playing instruments and combining music, speech, and movement. So this is basically what we do as early childhood music therapists. Funny enough, this is exactly what we do. Whether we're music therapists, speech therapists, occupational therapists, or infant toddler teachers, or parents. Yeah. Actually, we are using that sort of multimodal, multisensory approach to teach language, to help encourage movement, to understand concepts, right? Infants and toddlers learn holistically, meaning that when we engage all different kinds of learning, that's how they learn. Multimodal is the way to go. The only difference between a parent using this technique and a music therapist using this technique is the parent has no idea what they're doing. What are some of the ways that music functions as a habilitative or rehabilitative tool? It kind of works in both ways. The beauty of music is that it's processed all over. You know, where lyrics is processed on one side, speech is somewhere on the other side of your brain. And using the music helps to bridge these two gaps and create these new functional patterns within our brain. And that's both habilitative and rehabilitative. When we're working with infants and toddlers, I'm working with kids who haven't lost skills. They're just learning skills. So it's not rehabilitative because they never had those. So we are giving that to them. Actually, a really cool one is cochlear implant. 
friends. I have a bunch of friends who are researching how music therapy and cochlear implants bridge the gap and how these kids are learning different pitches and different sounds in different ways. And for anyone who is unfamiliar with what a cochlear implant is, essentially it is an auditory tool in the case when a child or an adult is deaf, severe to profoundly deaf, and needs basically stimulation to create the ability to hear, and it goes straight into the auditory nerve, straight into the brain, and bypasses the ear. And so it creates um, the ability to hear for someone who cannot hear. So that's kind of one of those, they're using all of these different techniques, not necessarily neurologic techniques, though it's all encompassing, but they're, they're using a variety of techniques and instrument play and instrument timbres. So utilizing a different instrument to mimic another sound, the art of being able to hear a tambourine versus an egg shaker or a drum to produce those hard consonants, as opposed to a shaker where they are more fluid and soft, but music is rehabilitative. So we're, as I said, we're recreating those pathways in the brain when we're using it in a rehabilitative manner. Probably the most famous story is Gabby Giffords. So she was shot and lost speech function. She couldn't speak. And music therapy was one of the first therapies administered with speech therapy to help her to regain her speech and recreate those neurologic patterns. Music is processed in such this way that you can, Parkinson's patients, Alzheimer's patients, they can sing it before they can speak it. Amazing. Uh, So cool. Ah, I actually get shivers down my spine when I think about the power of that. It's awesome. (laughs) Let's take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsors, and then we'll hear more about some of your favorite tips and resources, Meryl. For sure. Do you want to provide an enriching environment without all the plastic bells and whistles? Do you want to know how to stimulate your infant or toddler's growth and development? Are you tired of trying to do this all in a vacuum? We were not meant to parent in isolation. That's why I created the Strength in Words Community Lab, a content and community hub that brings you peace of mind. You have what matters when you need it most. Bite-sized morsels of developmental information, Activity ideas to apply right now, parent support groups grouped by your child's age, developmental music classes, unprecedented access to professionals and special guests like the one we have today, and an active, engaged community of members just like you. The Community Lab is an all-in-one resource that isn't one-sized-fits-all. To take your free one-week trial and join us for everything I've just described, as well as member access to Q&A sessions with the featured guests I bring on to the podcast, come check out community.strengthenwords.com. Okay, Mara, let's hear your three best tips for parents and caregivers of infants and toddlers, regardless of that child's developmental level, when you're using music to connect with or support their young child's development. Well, I'm not going to lie. This is really hard (laughs) because they are all things that we already know. We just don't realize that we know. But Um, those are sometimes the most powerful and most important things. And I I was like, well, I got to pick something tangible. So first and foremost, my best tip for infants and toddlers, sing with your child. Sing to your child. Sing with your child. Sing. They don't care what your voice is. They've heard your voice since they were in the womb. That's the first sense that is created is hearing they know your voice they're not judging it there is no judgment they don't get judgment until they're like maybe three because my she tells me to do that a lot stop singing no you know one of those but 
But no, sing with your child. Sing to your child. That, just sing. And I'll be the first to admit that I don't sing with my children as often as I, as I should. Uh, I know the power of music. I know the benefit of music. I know what music therapy does, and yet I don't use it at home. <laughs> Because because you're a parent. <laughs> right. And so I get that. But, you know, seeing, I get a lot of parents sometimes who are like, oh, diaper changes are awful. And my kid is like rolling here and there. And one thing we never really had much problem with in our house was diaper changes. And, and I do realize that that is the one time that I always use music. And we sang about what we were doing with our diaper. We all do it, whether you're a therapist, whether you're not. We are all singing the steps to everything. And, and we make it up as we go along. And the song is different every time. But the fact is, it's something that the kids can focus on. So the key takeaway there is sing because it focuses. It's the vocabulary for what we're doing. And in fact, when we're talking, we are also engaging in a very musical type activity, right? Because especially when we're talking to our infants and toddlers, we're often using a term called infant-directed speech, or motherese or parentese, which is by its very nature slowing down, using exaggerated pitches, um, being essentially more musical with our voices. Uh, because we know, and I have a podcast episode about this specifically called infant directed speech, Mm -hmm. because we know that they attend to it. We're often just using this and doing it naturally, but it actually makes our children more interested in what we're saying. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, And there's nothing that pairs better with speech than using it musically because it is natural. That's how we do it. We phrase naturally with both our speech and songs. It happens. So my second one, live music, live music, live music, live music. Engage with your child in live music opportunities, whether it is going to your library, going to a music class. The live music opportunities are the most important. Anybody can go and stick a CD in a CD player and think that they're entertaining their child. Yeah. But what, what, what is it about live music that, that is different? So... Live music, because of what you can do visually as well, it becomes multimodal, which is how these children are learning. When you put a CD into the CD player, sure, the kid can dance around. That's fine. But that's all they're doing. They are experiencing music from the outside. They're like, okay, I hear music. I'm dancing. They are not paying attention to speech. Most likely not going to teach your kid to speak just playing a CD. But pair that with a live music experience where you have the visual here, (laughs) you have the visual in emotion, you have the visual of the movement, and then you've got the movement, you've got the feeling, you've got the tactile, you've got all of that. So, so that is a huge experience. Live music will give you those things. Recorded music won't give you all of those things. I am a big believer of that. And when you're looking for a music class, choose a music class that has that live aspect of music. Meaning what? Because in my in my eyes, all, all music classes are live. The live aspect is the facilitator of that class is using the music as well. Mm-hmm. There are some music classes out there that will, and, and sometimes that's what you have in your community and you don't always have a skilled musician with kids available in your community. So library programs are often using a CD. And again, yeah, that's great. Go, go and do that because you should experience that. 
But you now have to take what you have heard and bring that back to your child live. You mm-hmm. saying what you heard and bring it to your child to make it multimodal. So what I'm hearing is it's that interaction. That's the key. Yeah. yeah. Between parent and child, child and facilitator, child and instrument, child and child. There are studies out there that when people are participating in live musical experiences, whatever they want to happen will happen that much faster. Yes. And we actually happen to have live online music classes through the community lab, which is so fun. And it's great because I bring parents and babies up on the screen with me and then we'll do something specific together. And it's just fun. Yeah, I think that's a great way to use technology and how you're doing it. When those parents bring that back, there you've added, you know, of course, online, we're not touching and feeling but you are touching and feeling with your child exactly and that's a huge thing so yes okay give us your third tip so my third tip (laughs) don't sing down here (laughs) right but no when you're singing kind of put your voice in that higher register because that's what kids are hearing they're still developing their hearing skills they are still developing all of those different pitches you know, don't, we don't want that. But we want, if you're singing too low, it's not in that child ease, that mother ease, that daddy ease. You want that to be attainable for your child. So choose music that is in that pitch. Choose music to sing that is in that. Interesting. And you're saying that that is because then it is innately more encouraging for them to try it out or do it. Yeah. And that that's so interesting. I've never actually heard that said quite like that, but it's totally true. And we know there's so much research that actually says that even very young from like six or seven months, infants will attempt to try a new skill when it is moderately difficult. So not too easy and not too hard. So they will decide based on what they hear, what they see, what they feel, whether they should try it out Mm -hmm. or whether they should imitate what you're doing. So if something is, like you're saying in the example of singing in a pitch range, as in a little higher, a little higher, where infants and toddlers and young children speak because they do use a higher register because the larynx is actually much smaller right yes um that if we sing up there they are actually going to be more likely to imitate and interact musically as well yeah fascinating it's it's more encouraging and Mm -hmm. for the exact reason that you said they can't produce the low sound so what's going to motivate them to repeat it when you sing, row, row, row your boat, gently down the street, down there? Like, they're not going to do it. They might think it's funny when you're doing it in song and you want mm-hmm. to mimic. So we'll sing a shaky egg song and it's just really easy. Stop and go, you know, shaky, 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 I mean, like, that's it. I have yeah. sold, the thing is two bucks online, right? I made some site a long time ago. I've sold more of that song that you could probably imitate on your own. <laughs> than anything else that I've ever had. It's kind of funny. But anywho, that is the link to it, right? I will try and get that to you. Yeah. In that song, we give the instructions. And so we'll sing in the instructions. We'll sing, can you shake it up high, up high in the sky? Can you shake it down low? And then, because physically they can grasp that low, but they're not going to vocalize that, most likely. So keeping in that range. So, well, all right. So here's, here's a question. Yeah. What about... What about dads who have low voices? What do they do? 
Well, the kids know your low voices. You know, I have not researched that or read a ton of research on daddy voices versus high mommy voices. And there are mommies out there that have low voices and there are daddies out there that have high voices. So, but the kids are going to tune in to the voice that they recognize. So if daddy's singing that, they know daddy's voice. They've known daddy's voice since they were down here. They know daddy's voice. So they're still going to attune to and have attention towards that. I'll be honest. I don't know what the research says about that. But I do know that they will pay attention to a daddy's voice when it's their daddy. If it's not their daddy, they're less likely to pay attention to it. But I also tell my daddies to sing a little higher. Even a person with a low voice can sing a little higher. And my husband used to be a music teacher. He has a low voice. But when he was working with those kids, you bet he tried his best to sing an octave up. He did what he could to get in their range. Yeah. We're talking about the key or the octave. Not putting yourself in way up here. you know, our developmental music classes here in the studio, I am, and when I'm working with my clients one-on-one, I'm singing in that range and I'm showing them, hey, try this. Can you bring it up a little bit? I model what I want them to do. And that's huge because you can say this, but they have no idea what you're talking about. So we model it. And I do provide recordings for my families when they want it. And so they can still model that. That is the recordings are not so they could sit there and play it on repeat. The recordings are so that they can learn it and they can do it with their child for that live musical experience. Yes. Good. Just to wrap it up, let's hear about a few of your other favorite resources. Yeah, for sure. So one of my favorite resources, as I went through this whole speech about live music, is Barefoot Books. It is a publisher of children's stories for all ages. But part of those, there are these musical stories. What I love about them is they are books that come with a CD in the back. The music is printed in the back, but the story itself is really cool. So one of them is uh, Driving My Tractor, and it's driving my tractor down a bumpy road. And in my trailer, there's a heavy load. There's a little gray donkey going, hee-haw, hee-haw. And it has all of these, um, you know, animal sounds, but other things, and it's musical. One of the reasons I like that is because I do have a lot of parents that are scared of music. They are scared to music. As a verb. Yes, they are scared to music. Um, And this gives them a little bit of a cushion to do that. So they have a story, which we all know the power of books. It has the music. You now know the power of music. And it also has a visual component, which is wonderful. And the kicker is most of their music books have a YouTube video. And I'm not a big proponent of YouTube, except these are the books animated. So it's the exact picture that you're seeing in this story so if you have to utilize something because they're not zombies in front of the tv but they love to look at things and so this gives them just another area another avenue to get that i think that's great too because we all need tools to help us become more comfortable with things that we are less comfortable with right so that that is a nice bridge as well like you said Mm -hmm. anything else another one is my early blog Go back two years and I was really, really blogging. There were a lot of activities that I had put out there as a new parent. This is when I had one child and a whole lot of time on my hands. And I was also a stay-at-home mom with my child for about a year. So I was able to do these. But there's some great activities that we did there, both musical, non-musical. And it served as a really good resource at that time. The blog is still there. You can get through it to from my website and then just go back like four posts and then you'll be two years ago because I haven't watched <laughs> in a while. Um, it's coming back. Don't worry. 
on developingmelodies.com. Another one is sprouting melodies. So there is, in the music therapy world, we have a whole slew of different developmental music classes and trainings that you can go to. This actually, though, is a blog. Of, there is a training, but the Sprouting Melodies blog and a YouTube channel. So there are videos on there from a music therapist, and she is teaching the parents how to music as a verb, how to music, which basically makes you one with the music and the development. There are songs on there, there's tips, there's tricks, and that is my newest resource out there. And as I said, there are four. And the fourth one is actually the parent, you, the parent. Go back in your mental history and remember what you did as a kid. I can guarantee that there is music in your lives. I can guarantee that there was something that your parent did to help you get through something, learn something, or move past something. So remember that. And it may not have been musical. It may have just been something that they did. But you are a great resource. Don't doubt yourself. You are a parent. And there's a reason you are a parent. Because you can do it. <laughs> That's great. Thank you, Meryl. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. so much. Thanks so much, Meryl. And thanks to all our Community Lab members who are here listening live. We will continue the discussion and open up for a Q&A session for you guys in just a minute. But for everyone listening from home or on the go, thanks so much for joining us. And we will see you next time. Thanks for being here. See you later. What will you do the rest of your day? Goodbye to the babies. Goodbye to the toddlers. Goodbye, bigger kids. Goodbye to the siblings. Goodbye to the grown-ups. Goodbye to the singers. Goodbye, I yell it. Goodbye to the music. We laughed and we played. We're getting very clever. This is what counts being here together. Thanks so much, everyone. If you feel inclined to support what we're doing here at Strength in Words, you can do so by joining our mailing list where you can receive weekly ideas and developmental information applicable to your infant or toddler to maximize the connection between you and your baby and to bring you peace of mind. If you haven't yet done so, please leave a review of the Strength in Words podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. That helps other people find the good work we're doing. Don't forget to check out community.strengthandwords.com, your content and community hub to make your play more productive. Come and take a one-week trial on me. See you next time.